Hello. Howdy. How are you doing today, Jake? I'm doing good. Nice, easy day for me. Uh, how about you? Well, same as, as most every day during the coronavirus pandemic, but today is particularly exciting because we have a fantastic topic and a fantastic interview for you folks. Yeah. So let's gear up with our first conversation uh, with a party nominee, Howie Hawkins of the Green Party. On this episode, we dive headfirst into the nature of America's two-party system and learn about the people working to change it. This is Picket. Boom. Okay, that works. Let's jump into the magnum opus of segments, Weather in America. When is this going to get old? It probably already has, but regardless, it is the gem of, of this podcast. The podcast wouldn't be complete without it, and I don't think the listeners would be satisfied with the overall experience if, uh, if we didn't have it. So here, today's town, for all of you wondering, is Mitchell, South Dakota. And for all the folks in and around this town, located in Davidson County, you should expect relatively consistent weather. It seems, from what I'm able to observe right now, uh, like it's going to be mostly partly cloudy with highs in the mid to high 80s and lows in the mid to high 60s. So from what I'm seeing right now, pretty decent summer weather. Well, that's good. Uh, Now, when we were looking at this place, when I saw it on the list, I realized um, this place is very dear to my heart as a person because when I was eight or so, I had a pilgrimage to this town's most famous landmark, the Corn Mm -hmm. Palace. Yes, I know what you're thinking. What is the Corn Palace? Well, the Corn Palace is a palace. Guess what it's made of? I've seen photographs of you at this location. Is it actually made of corn? It is made of corn. Well, I'm sure the structure is not made of corn, but to my eight-year-old eyes, it was definitely made of corn. And I was going there for one purpose and one purpose only. I was going to proclaim myself Corn King because I am the Corn King. Okay, Lorenzo? I think most people would agree that you are deserving of that title. I will be the Corn King. Yes, yes. Uh, good luck. I, I, I wish uh, you great success over ruling over your corn domain. Thank you. Uh, I hope that that plays out very well for you. Regardless, we have a very important topic to get into, and we should not let your corn majesty detract from that. <laughs> yeah, even uh, though you're speaking to royalty now. so <laughs> I, I know. I'm aware that I'm speaking to royalty. All due respect. Uh, but... Today's topic regards one of America's main alternative parties, as many people refer to them, other than the Republican and the Democratic parties, as most people are familiar. Uh, America's other two most well-known parties are the Green and Libertarian parties, and today we are going to be concentrating on the Green Party. I know that the two of us are really curious to, to find out a little bit more about what they stand for and the role that they may play in American politics moving forward. That's why we decided to speak to the Green Party's candidate for president, Howie Hawkins. So, uh, let's jump into that interview, huh? Take a listen. Well, I'm a retired Teamster. Uh, Before that, I worked in construction. But I've really been an activist my whole life. I got involved in the San Francisco Bay Area as a teenager. Civil rights, anti-war, the early ecology movement. 
and became committed at that time to an independent party on the left for what we call participatory democracy and democratic socialism and ecology and supported third party efforts, the Peace and Freedom Party, the Peaceful People's Party, and in the Citizens Party, 1980, that was Barry Commoner, our foremost environmental scientist, and got invited to the first national organizing meeting for a Green Party in 1984. And my message to them was, we got to build this from the bottom up. We can't build it out of a presidential campaign. I've seen four campaigns that were not able to do that. And so we proceeded to do that for the next dozen years. So by 96, when Ralph Nader let us use his name, we had enough of a base that we could petition to get him on over 30 ballots. And then he ran full out in 2000 and we were on over 40 ballots and the, national, the Green Party you know, hit the national stage that year. And I've stayed involved with Greens in New York have run me three times for governor each time we got enough votes to get a ballot line. And uh, here I am, they asked me to run. So why the hell am I running for president if I think we got to build this from the bottom up? One answer to that is 40 of the states, uh, the vote we get for a presidential uh, nominee in the popular vote determines whether we have a ballot line for the next election cycle. So we want to elect thousands of Greens as we go into the 2020s. But to do that, we got to get the ballot lines because it's much easier to get on a ballot if you have a ballot line than, it, than if you have to petition as an independent in most states. So that's a little bit about me and how I got here. Mr. Hawkins has a long history of involvement with the Green Party, and it, it does have a fascinating history going back to uh, the foundation of that Green Committee's of correspondence back in 1984 that he discussed. It, it's evolved a lot and it's changed a lot, and Howie Hawkins has been uh, a consistent figure in its push for liberal and environmentally conscious policy. Yeah, that's the uh, first meeting in 84 uh, is, you know, there was about 40 of us there. So I think I'm the only one still alive and still active. Uh, you know, there are others alive, but they didn't stay active and a number of people have passed on. So at this point, I'm the sole survivor of that meeting who's still active in the Green Party. Well, we persisted. And there have been a number of, you know, significant third party efforts like the Labor Party back in the late 90s. They had the affiliations of enough unions to represent 6 million people, but they ran out of gas. Um, and there were other efforts and we persisted. We have 129 elected officials around the country, which is one of the best kept secrets in American politics. It's more than any third party on the left. You have to go back to the Socialist Party in its heyday to find that many. On the other hand, there are half a million elected officers in this country. So what we got is really a drop in the bucket. And if we're gonna become a major party, like I said, we're gonna to have to start electing thousands to local office and then the local districts of state legislatures and Congress. And when we have a caucus in Congress, nobody will be able to ignore our presidential ticket. So that's still the recipe. We gotta build it from the bottom up. So the Green Party most certainly has evolved over time, shifting with multiple different candidates, different uh, policy, but mostly in the broad sense of its mission, it's uh, stayed left-leaning in American politics. It's on the far left in the scale of American politics. And more on that scale of the left is uh, what we call democratic socialism, which Howie Hawkins is actually also the candidate for the Socialist Party of the United States. So we wanted to know a little bit more about how that dynamic works between the two parties. The old Socialist Party of America, you know, Eugene Debs, Norman Thomas, A. Philip Randolph, 
split three ways in the late 60s. They went into factions, and then in 72, they broke up. And one faction was pro-Vietnam War, one faction was anti-Vietnam War, and the other one was sitting on the fence, finally came out against the war because George McGovern was against the war, and they, and they wanted to support McGovern. And those two of those factions, the pro-war faction and the one sitting on the fence, were for going into the Democratic Party. So the faction that wanted independent politics and was against the war in Vietnam was called the Debs Caucus. So they reconstituted the Socialist Party as the Socialist Party USA in 1973. And I was already a member of the People's Party, and, but I thought this is you know, along the same line, so I joined, and I've been a member ever since. And while I've put most of my energy into the Green Party, I think the Socialist Party carries on a great socialist tradition associated with Eugene Debs and Norman Thomas and A. Philip Randolph. So um, they asked me to consider running for them when they heard I might run for the Greens. And I said, yes, let's build some solidarity on the left and have a stronger united front against both the lesser and the greater evil represented by the two corporate parties. So what he discusses there, the unified front, it really seems like that's going to be a vital component of liberal success moving forward because you have you have parties like the Green Party, like the Socialist Party, that are certainly further left than the Democratic Party. And if they're going to see any sort of success moving forward, it seems like a necessary relationship that needs to be cultivated. The Green Party is seeing a little bit of momentum year after year, trying to gain a little bit higher percentage of votes nationally on a presidential uh, for presidential elections, but it's going to take a lot of cooperation between different organizations and, and different figures on, on, on the left of the Democratic Party, where the Socialists and where the Green Parties are, to be able to gain real traction and, and to have a, a chance at national elected office. Yeah, so let's let's take a deeper look at exactly what these parties stand for and, and how they can work in unison to move uh, green liberal policy forward. Well, yeah, the Green Party calls itself uh, a party for ecological socialism. The Socialist Party is the traditional democratic socialist party. And I think the two parties' principles are totally compatible. I mean, the, in the 19th and 20th century, socialism emphasized building the forces of production to solve the scarcity problem. That's not the problem now. The problem is we're plenty productive, but we're uh, destroying the environment that sustains the human economy. So we talk about an ecological socialism where we have a system that is a socialist economic democracy with social ownership of major means of production and democratic administration of those uh, assets. But we plan to produce enough to meet everybody's basic needs within ecological limits. And I think both the Socialist Party USA and the Green Party of the United States, they support that basic approach. So it's only natural that we be allied in this election. Now, one integral part to running any campaign, especially the presidential one, is media. Getting yourself out there and spreading word about yourself and your platform, right? And the main thing is a lot of third-party candidates or alternative party candidates do not get any coverage at all. Uh, the top two barely get any coverage. And we want to know, is that fair? Well, the media, no. I mean, we would like to be part of the everyday narrative. And I'm ready to answer questions of the press in a press conference. 
Trump doesn't do that. He did one yesterday where he answered a couple minutes questions and then ducked out. And it was more a campaign rally speech than a news conference. And then Biden goes out once or twice a week and does a teleprompter speech in, bunch of Ameri in front of a bunch of American flags. And the press isn't there. He doesn't answer questions. And I think we have something to say. I started this campaign, campaigning on three life or death issues. The climate meltdown, that's where the Green New Deal comes in. The inequality crisis, where working class life expectancies are in decline in this country. So we have an economic bill of rights to end poverty and economic despair. Things like a job guarantee, a guaranteed income above poverty, and Medicare for all. And then peace initiatives to reverse this new nuclear arms race and bring us back from the brink and build peace instead of more wars. And of course, now we've got the coronavirus pandemic on pace to kill a quarter of a million people by the time of the election. And Trump gave up. He's a loser, COVID won. And Biden, who for years commuted to the Senate from his home in Wilmington, Delaware, could command the White House press corps for news conferences, like you maybe saw Andrew Cuomo doing uh, you know, early on in the pandemic and showing up Trump. Why isn't Biden doing that? We have this explosion of infections and deaths, and we don't have a test, contact, trace, and quarantine program like every other organized society in the world. These two governing parties are presiding over a failed state. So that's the fifth life, fourth life or death issue. And then in the last six weeks, we've had this uprising against police brutality and racism, a pandemic of racism that's been going on for centuries that people of color have known about, but now the white people see it on living color in their TV screens, and a lot of them are mad too. So there we're talking about community control of the police and not just defunding the police, but defunding the military because there's not enough money in the police departments to provide the housing for the homeless and the drug treatment for the addicted and the psychologists for the people having mental health episodes and all these other things the police are called out to do they're not really qualified for. And that will require basically a Marshall Plan for the cities, a massive public investment in housing, jobs, businesses, healthcare, schools, to uplift communities that have been segregated, discriminated against, and exploited for generations, right down to the recent history. Black America lost half its wealth under the Obama administration due to that the aftermath of the Great Recession. And the corporate criminals were not prosecuted by them. And now two of them are cabinet secretaries in the Trump administration. Wilbur Ross, who was at the center of the robo-signing computerized fraud that stole people's homes. He owned mortgage servicing companies. And Steve Mnuchin, who owned or was the CEO of One West, notorious for predatory lending and foreclosures targeted at black people, Latinos, and Asians out in California. And people say, well, we got to step aside and let the Democrats fight the right. Well, we, that's an example where they don't know how to fight the right. They didn't. And now the right is back in power because they didn't prosecute those corporate criminals. Like media coverage. Debates are another very important source of attention for campaigns and for candidates. Poor performances there can break your campaign, and great performance there can make your campaign. Yeah, it's really, it's a, a make or break thing for most campaigns. So you could have a oops moment like Rick Perry, uh, you're no John Kennedy, uh, lockbox, or you can have a great performance like uh, Reagan or uh, Mondale and the Democrats. Uh, JFK, yeah. So I think that's very integral, and that's like a key point for 
any campaign to get their message across and show that they're ready for the job, right? Uh, certainly, and and viewership is a very important statistic, and it's a, a, a major factor in the significance of these debates. Uh, what you you were uh, suggesting a statistic not too long ago, Jake? Oh yeah, it's uh, about I think eight, it's eighty four million uh, people watched debates in uh, twenty sixteen. So that's a key portion of the voter base. A lot of people are going to wait to make their decision on the candidates in those debates because a lot of people vote based on whether or not they like the candidate as opposed to the policy. And being able to present your policy and yourself well in those is it's a great opportunity for people. And that's why third-party candidates, people like Howard Hawkins or the current libertarian candidate, who I believe is Joe Jorgensen, uh, are really pushing for inclusion in these events. And and the main obstacle between these lesser-known candidates of the Green or the Libertarian parties and actually making it to the event, actually having the opportunity to speak, uh, is the Commission on Presidential Debates. So here's, here's Howard Hawkins' take on that. There's a Commission on Presidential Debates. Sounds like a government agency. In fact, it's a private corporation controlled by the two major parties. And it was set up to exclude their competition. That happened in 1988 when Dukakis for the Democrats and Bush the first for the Republicans was making demands on the League of Women Voters, which had been sponsoring the debates. And the League said, no, no, you can't dictate to us how we're going to conduct our debates. So the major party said, fine, we're going to set up our own thing. And unfortunately, the corporate media bows down to that commission like it was the law. They don't have to. News organizations and civic organizations could sponsor debates. And I would suggest all the candidates who are on enough ballots to win the Electoral College should be in that debate. And that would be the Greens and the Libertarians, as well as the Democrats and Republicans. And I think that's the kind of debate the American people deserve to hear so they know all their options. Because of the current political climate and because of how people's attention is focused on the Republican and the Democratic parties, we're seeing this really troubling dynamic of increasing increasing polarization between these two parties and uh, an absolute inability to find common ground. It's, it's really interesting to see the perspective of the presidential nominee for the Green Party, uh, one who's not a member of either the Republican or the Democratic parties, on the condition of exchange between these two parties, how they're treating one another, and how their platform is diverging significantly. Well, that's inherent in a two-party system where the parties are ideologically divided. And that's a recent development in American history, because until really the 90s, you had a conservative and a liberal wing of both parties. So the coalition shifted. It was really kind of a four-party system, even though it had two labels. When you have a two-party system where they, they don't agree ideologically, it becomes a zero-sum game, and it pays to go negative. So rather than solve problems, each party knocks down the other. And when you throw mud, you may get some mud on your hands, but you get mud all over the other person. So the net, it's a net game for you if you do that. And so it's a downward spiral. And instead of solving problems, they're trying to destroy each other. And what we would say is we need a multi-party democracy. When you have more than two parties, then you got to build coalitions in the legislature. And if you have a multi-party democracy, you have a proportional representation system in the legislative bodies. And if you use ranked choice voting, that means uh, you want the second choices of people supporting other candidates to come to you. So it doesn't pay to go negative. You got to put your own positive program out in the election. And after the election, 
the coalition shift. Imagine a four-party Congress where you got Greens and Libertarians as well as Democrats and Republicans. The Greens and Libertarians are going to be together on drug policy reform, on civil liberties, on staying out of stupid foreign wars, on opposing corporate welfare. But when it comes to economics, you know, the Greens are going to be with progressive Democrats on a lot of issues and the Libertarians are going to be with the Republicans. So the coalition shift. So you don't want to burn your bridges. So it creates a much more positive dynamic. So one of our major goals is to promote, first of all, in a presidential election, you know, we're called the spoilers and we say, no, it's the Democrats. It's Joe Biden, because we've been giving him the proven nonpartisan solution to the problem of spoiled elections in presidential elections. And that is to replace the Electoral College with a ranked choice national popular vote for president. Problem solved. Instead of trying to knock us off the ballot, Joe Biden, join us and let's solve this problem. And you know, for legislative bodies, you can use ranked choice to elect a proportionally represented Congress. Now, I definitely agree that the polarization between the two is a problem. And I think things such as uh, ranked choice voting and stuff like that could be a good mm-hmm. alternative to fixing these problems, right? Yeah. And I mean, uh, he's also correct in the thing that uh, the two parties used to be separated between these two different wings and i mean the conservative party is much more blocked together now but the democrats still have their uh liberals and then uh socialists democratic socialists so that kind of switch between those two that's still there there is a divide that's becoming an apparent between the Repub- uh within the republican party uh this 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 disconnect this disconnect between uh, the oh, Trump agenda the Trumpism. Trump the Trumpist ideology and then the establishment more traditionally conservative ideology so I think there there is there is a bit of uh, disagreement within the Republican Party a, a fair amount actually and but one thing I do just uh, in a, a personal regard based on just uh, the fact that adding more parties to our system I mean. I feel like that's a good place for uh, more people to be represented. But the thing is, uh, would we get anything done? I mean, because if you think about it, uh, the two parties that control it are both, like you said, throwing mud at each other, trying to tear each other down, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, they do that. So whoever's whoever's in charge, whoever's sitting in the office, the other party's going against that guy because that's not their guy. Uh, yeah. So then you got three parties going against one guy. Do you think anything's going to get done? And I think there is a system to getting around that. I think we just have to think about that more in depth, you know? I, I, think, you, I think you make a valid point. Uh, we see in democracies like India and I think in Israel as well, parties, uh, parties in a system where there are many parties have to come together and form coalitions. And it, it's similar in uh, the country to the north in Canada where – they have uh, a wide array of, of parties. Uh, people do have to form coalitions, and I think there is the potential for progress there, and I think that a lot of countries like Canada and like these these other countries that have uh, many, many parties, they do have progress. I, I am curious to see if in the system that we have presently in the the landscape that we have presently where people are divided between republican and democrats between liberal and conservative with an inability to reach common ground i, I wonder if if this would be productive and i think you make a good point 
But the last thing that we discussed was in response to a question we've been posing to all of our guests. We've been encouraging them to reflect on the events in the United States over the past few months and consider what lesson we as a country have learned. Well, I hope they realize that the people in power now in both parties are not solving problems. And that we need new leadership, we need new people up in there. And you can't keep voting for what doesn't work. Now what we're offering in the Green Party are real alternatives. A lot of people voted for Medicare for all in the Democratic primaries for Bernie Sanders. And the polls show even the Sand a lot of the Biden supporters want that. You can't get that if you vote for Biden in the general election. He's against that. He said he vetoed it across his desk if he's president. The Green Party's for it. So if you vote for Biden and you're for Medicare for all, you're getting lost in the sauce. Nobody knows that's what you want. You voted for Biden. You vote for the Green Party, your voice is heard. That's your power. So vote for what you want. And I think, I'm hoping, a lot of people who have just about had it between this failure on the coronavirus and the systemic racism that neither of these parties has done anything about, even talked about for generations. Last time they did was when they were forced to by the civil rights movement in the 60s. And since then, it's been a retreat. And Joe Biden, the lesser evil, so-called, was part of that. He was partnering with the arch segregationist Strom Thurmond to oppose busing for school desegregation. And it wasn't about the busing, it was about the integration because kids were being bused all over the place to keep schools segregated back then. And you know, that issue, people say we need a conversation. Yes, but we also need to empower the racially oppressed communities so they're not subject to the decisions of racist employers and people that let people into schools, uh, landlords, uh, the legal criminal justice system. Uh, we need to have empowerment, starting with community control of the police. So, you know, I'm hoping that people out there on the streets are realizing they need to raise their expectations of what they expect from the political leadership. And I hope they'll look at the Green Party and see what we're offering and give, give us their support. All right. All right, have a good day. Thanks to Howie, of course, for coming on the show. And as always, thank you, our listeners, so much for your support and for listening to Picket. If you'd like to stay up to date on the latest developments here at Picket, uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Picket Podcast. Uh, there's no space between that. That is Picket Podcast. Also, if you enjoy the show, make sure to rate the podcast in whatever format you listen. We'd very much appreciate it. And also, one more thing, uh, we'd also like to mention the new intro-outro music you heard throughout the episode. Uh, we just want to give a special thanks to that creator, I Means Love, uh, for letting us use his song, Would You. So if you're into that kind of music and you like just how that music was, uh, you could check him out wherever you stream music. And if you'd like to contact us with any questions or comments, you can visit our website at https colon forward slash forward slash www.picketpodcast.com. And we'll see you next time on the Picket Fence with us.